This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Hello, my name is Michelle Herdick. I'm the Director of Nursing and Patient Services in the Cardiovascular Inpatient and Cardiac ICP at Boston Children's Hospital. Many studies cite that the rising costs of healthcare, along with costs shifting by employers, have resulted in higher out-of-pocket payments in the form of premiums, deductibles, and co-payments for families. As a result of the economic burden and stress experienced during the time of inpatient care for most families, this is a potentially increased stressor. Medical and surgical advances have allowed many congenital heart defects, once considered life-threatening, to be managed as a chronic illness. Depending on the complexity of the disease, medical and surgical treatment may occur in the newborn period or shortly thereafter. So how does this burden impact families of children with a chronic condition such as congenital heart disease? We are here today with Dr. Jean Connor, Director of Nursing Research for the Cardiovascular Program at Boston Children's Hospital. We will discuss this very question and review her outstanding research on the meaning of cost for families of children with congenital heart disease. Good morning, Dr. Connor. Good morning. Thank you for joining me today. Of course. I was hoping to start off with a little bit of background on how you became a nurse scientist. Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, for the most of my career, I've actually been a clinician and have worked with uh, families and children of various diseases, and probably for the last 15, um, have worked with congenital heart disease families and, and just really thinking about what it was that I was doing in being part of their healthcare team and preparing them for whatever piece of uh, intervention that they were getting ready to go through. And so as part of my role, I often would prepare families for congenital heart surgery um, or cardiac catheterizations. And through all of that teaching and preparation, um, what was significant to me was the economic questions that families were asking me. Um, I would tell them things, well, you know, your child could possibly die or have a stroke. And after I would finish all of that, they would ask, well, how many days do I have to be out of work? Mm -hmm. How much money should I bring with me to the hospital? Um, how much do you think the copay? How much do you think my insurance is going to pick up? And so that was very, I think, important for me to understand better. And so as I went back and um, sought doctoral study, I thought one of the first things that I wanted to investigate was this whole phenomenon of economic burden. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of led me on this path of uh, becoming a nurse scientist. That's great. And obviously, the interest in cost burden to yes. families. Yes. So can you elaborate a little bit on the background to what got you to the study? As I was thinking about how I would seek this information to understand better the economic burden, I went to the literature and reviewed really um, a vast amount of literature in the area of pediatric oncology and how those families were coping with a chronic illness and the economic burden there. Um, but it became very apparent to me that there were almost no studies around um, the experience that families of children with heart disease were having. But what was interesting to me was information about the cost of congenital heart surgery. And so thinking about this 
um, extraordinary cost of having um, children be repaired for their congenital heart defects, I thought, well, there has to be some kind of burden to the families. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was gave me even more information pointing me in this direction that I really needed to understand it from the family's experience this whole idea of having a baby born with this type of disease and then going through the process of some type of intervention to address their disease. And how did you decide on the methodology you used? Well, that was also interesting. Um, in my doctoral training, I was trained very much quantitatively. Mm -hmm. um, so always looking for some kind of survey or tool to help um, acquire that information from families. But when I went to the literature, and um, reviewed all available tools. Nothing was really specific, I think, to me really understanding this as best possible. And I didn't want to make an assumption that it would be the same experience for families um, that had congenital heart disease of families that would have a child with cancer. Mm -hmm. And so it was that thought that really led me to a brand new methodology that I had never experienced, but using uh, qualitative. Um, really just talking to families, doing that in the form of interviews. And, and so that is what led me to using this particular approach. That's wonderful. I'm sure that had a personal touch to it as well. Well, it was scary for me because I had never, um, again, in all of my training, uh, used that type of methodology. So I really had to seek out mentors, but I realized that that was the best way to get that answer. And how did you find the process when you started? Actually, very exciting. Uh, of course, it was very much a learning experience for me, but at the same time, I felt that I was actually getting the information that I wanted. So although in an area that wasn't quite known to me, um, having the validation that as I was engaging with the families, and we could talk about um, the specific methodology in a second, that I was actually getting what I needed to understand this whole phenomenon better. Can you tell me how you went about selecting the families? Yes. So um, at the time uh, that I was starting this investigation, I also was able to uh, maintain a clinical role and uh, working on the nurse practitioner team uh, that cared for the families in their post-operative uh, period. So it was in that ability of working with families on the inpatient side and the hospital side that I was able to select families. And I wanted to think about this in a few different ways. Um, I was trying to understand this whole phenomenon of cost and the burden of cost, um, but also realizing that our patients, our congenital heart disease patients, there's a broad spectrum. Mm -hmm. There's um, what many would consider a very straightforward, very simple type of defect, but we have a range that goes to a very complex state where patients often need multiple surgeries. And so I wanted to make sure that I understood this from that simple, not complex, congenital heart disease state to the very complex. Mm -hmm. um, but I also wanted to consider this whole idea of um, cost and economics and what families brought to the table with their socioeconomic status. Right, exactly. And so it was through that ability to capture the range of complexity of heart disease and the range of what families brought around their socioeconomic status that I believed both things played a role. Mm -hmm. So when I went through this process of recruiting families, I used two guides, okay. um, something called the Hollingshead 
uh, socioeconomic status tool um, was very helpful in me identifying families by their um, approximate socioeconomic status. And then also the risk um, adjustment for congenital heart surgery um, is a way to categorize how complex disease is. And so in my um, recruiting of the families, as I was recruiting families, I was uh, paying attention to both those things. So I would have potentially families from across the socioeconomic um, spectrum as well as the complexity of their disease. So those were the two things that guided me um, when I spoke to families. And when you do this kind of work where you're trying to capture an experience, you really want to make sure the family has the experience, yes. right, before they can actually tell their story. Exactly. And so for me, that made um, an important um, decision as to when I would speak to them, when I would reach out to them. And so it was just prior to their discharge. So oh, they would wonderful. come in the hospital, they would have their surgery, they would have their recovery in the intensive care unit, and then be at a point where they were going to be uh, discharged within the next day or two. So that's how families were identified mm -hmm. and then actually recruited into the study. Mm -hmm. What a wonderful time to choose to speak mm -hmm. with them as well, because mm -hmm. from my experience working on the floor, um, I think that's a good time for them to be much less stressed and mm -hmm. be at a more comfortable level mm -hmm. to have a discussion. Mm -hmm. We would like to turn to our audience and ask a question at this time. Please state your city and country when responding. In your institution, do you currently screen families for economic stress? If so, what tools do you use to screen families? Can you tell me a little bit about the questions you were asking them? When you start this process of trying to understand a phenomenon or examine a certain issue, you, you start one way and then you find that families and patients have a way of really telling you the true way. Mm -hmm. So all of your prior assumptions uh, usually shift. Um, but as I was thinking about how I would engage families, I thought it would be very important that I allowed them to tell me the story. So the technique I used was something called a semi-structured interview process. So that although um, the interviews um, we're going to be held for an hour, so when I spoke to families in the recruitment, I said it will be about 45 minutes or an hour of your time. Um, I actually had a, a guide, a script, and so I thought before actually sitting down with the families, what questions would I feel would be most important, but allowing them to tell me things that they felt important at the same time. So there were a series of questions that I asked, and I think probably the most important question was this overall meaning of cost to families. Mm -hmm. And so that was my first question that I always started with was, can you tell me the meaning of the word cost to you? What, what did that mean to you? And just really based on that response, used my following questions to really kind of guide that conversation. Mm -hmm. And so I did prepare a series of six questions, but really use that first question to really understand what the family, where they were going to go, you know, with the conversation. And that's a very important technique in qualitative mm -hmm. research, correct? Mm -hmm. To have this open-ended right. question to help, you know, get as much information as exactly. possible. Exactly, exactly. Allowing a way for the family to tell you the story and you not tell them the story. Or prompting answers. Right. Wonderful. Exactly. So what were the findings? The findings were interesting. Um, the first thing uh, that I learned is that families had many different definitions around this word of cost. Okay. I, again, was very um, 
very interested in the whole financial. You know, what was the dollar amount? You know, was it $20 you spent? Was it $40 you spent? Like, how, what was that? And actually, that wasn't the story they wanted to tell me. Um, they, they did touch upon finances, especially in that day-to-day, -day, okay. and I'll explain that in a moment. But what was more um, striking to me was how they interpreted the word, and using that word in a way that didn't necessarily mean a financial cost. Um, there was um, an overall um, sense uh, as to what they expected, but very much it was very unexpected and very uncertain mm -hmm. and really impacted not only um, their overall lifestyle, but it impacted how they related to if there were previous siblings in the family, um, their marriage, um, their work life, um, how they maintained their finances. It was just having that diagnosis and having the, the, the need for the medical or surgical intervention was something that impacted right at the time of diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it would be helpful before I go into the true results just to give you a sense of the families. Absolutely. And that, that could really set the stage for what families were saying to me. So when we do qualitative research, it's not um, as much about numbers. So okay. unlike quantitative, you would expect maybe a recruitment sample of 200 or 300. But when you're doing qualitative, you're really looking for um, the detail, the richness of the data. And so often it's expected if you're recruiting what we would consider um, a homogeneous, meaning things are similar. Um, group, you would say six to eight participants. Okay. Um, and I ended up with a total sample size of 20, 20 wow. families. But it was very interesting. Families really wanted to be part of the study. That's wonderful. Um, in the beginning, uh, there were many that said, oh, nobody's going to want to talk to you about cost. This is very sensitive. You don't ask people about their money, their finances. And what happened was word got out that I was doing this study, and families were actually following me down the hallway saying, could we be part of your study? So I ended up with um, uh, an overall size of 20 families. And that did allow me to cross that range, um, as we said before, of the socioeconomic status, right. that range. Um, and then also the complexity of the different um, defects and repairs that children were having. Now, something that was very important to me, um, and this was thinking of the finances and who manages the finances in the home and how does that conversation work, um, is that I really wanted to attempt, when possible, to have both the mom and the dad, the mother and the father, be part of the interview. And I think for the 20 families, um, there were 12 of the 20 or 60% that I were able to get both mom and dad to be part of that interview. That's amazing. When it was just the single parent, um, it was the parent that might manage the finances. Okay. And so that was interesting. Um, mainly it was the fathers, it was mm -hmm. the male. Um, but then there were some of the moms too. And so it was really this focus of trying to get that experience of that person that you know, manages the finances at home. And then just to capture when possible this conversation between the mother and the father and this idea of cost, what that word meant to them. Um, so that was the first thing that I really wanted to make sure about that. Um, and then something else particular to congenital heart disease that I think is very important to our story um, is 
the time of diagnosis mm -hmm. and because of our advances in technology um, we most often or almost 50 percent of the time are able to tell a family in utero so a prenatal diagnosis versus at the time of the birth and that actually became a very important part of the story and I would think implications for mm -hmm. what we learned um, again, that socioeconomic status, what did that look like? And we had um, probably about uh, a small percent fell into that higher socioeconomic status, and it was almost an even split between the middle and lower socioeconomic okay. status. So that's how we kind of divided them up. It was a low, a middle, and a high. Okay. And then I think as far as the um, complexity of the congenital heart disease, I told you that I wanted to try to capture that whole story. Um, typical is that um, kind of uh, intermediate kind of complexity yes. of disease. That was, that was mainly what was in the group. But we did have uh, families that had a very kind of simple, and we had families that also had a very complex, were staged kind of multiple interventions were required. So you had a good representative sample yeah. of what you were trying yeah, to get. Yeah, and I felt that, that even though we went past that, what would you consider six to eight you know, families. families, I think doing the 20 actually allowed to tell that whole story. Oh, good. So that was something that um, was important when we interpreted what they were saying That's to us. That's wonderful. Yeah. Something that, for me, um, was really important to learn is that when you interview families, you, 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 you get a whole story. And the way that that story is handled is that we taped the interviews so that I could just focus on them, not have to write everything down. Right. And that your data comes in the form of a story. Okay. And that you have to then take that story and try to make some kind of sense of it across all the families. And what you're doing is you're trying to look for similarities. Right. And so in that similarity, um, one way to help manage all of that information that you're receiving um, is to actually draw a figure. Okay. And so what we did was that we drew a figure that allowed us to really think of this as by domains of cost burden. Okay. As we were understanding what the families were saying, two major themes or domains jumped out to us. And the first theme was this overall lifestyle change. Okay. And it happened in a way that was both... Um, Financial was what I was interested in, right? But then there was this emotional component, and then there was um, this uh, family component. Mm. And then the second overall domain was this um, theme of uncertainty, mm -hmm. right? And again, it was financial uncertainty, uncertainty around the emotion, mm -hmm. and then uncertainty around the family. Mm -hmm. What was that going to be like? And so that was the way that once we read all of our interviews, all of our 20 interviews, we thought, let's organize the information using these kind of domains and then really try to tell the story within each of the two main domains and potentially examples of these three kind of subdomains or subcategories. Okay. And so that's how we treated the information to really start to tell the story of what families experience. How interesting that you found cost, which is typically financial, mm -hmm. was actually so tied to emotions. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, again, when I interviewed the first family, you know, they gave me this whole story. Mm -hmm. And then I said, well, okay, you know, maybe that's just one family's experience. What was remarkable is that it did not matter um, these things around disease complexity mm -hmm. or their socioeconomic status 
they all told this story very similarly mm -hmm. about the multiple meanings of cost and thought of it in a way that was clearly beyond financial. And that is really what led me to say there's something very strong among this, you know, among this population, mm -hmm. among this experience that's very similar. And so it just allowed um, to then start making some very important statements about the timing of disease. And I think one thing that struck me early, um, and it was also very interesting, that during the interviews, during the interviews, the families, um, especially when I had the paired, there was a real difference in what the fathers were saying and the mothers, but all agreed with this multiple meeting. Isn't that interesting? But where the examples came out were different between the father and the mother as far as financial lifestyle change. And one of the things that really struck me was a family that we had uh, taken care of from the South. Um, because our center is a major referral center, we okay. have families from all over the world that come and seek treatment here. So this was one particular family that was from the South of the United States. And he said to me that we were going for our normal ultrasound checkup. Um, later that day, we were supposed to go and we were going shopping for a large screen TV. Our family was very excited about this, but we needed to do the appointment first. At the time of the appointment, there was a diagnosis made that the baby had heart disease, and it was a complex heart disease. Mm -hmm. And he said, we left, and he says, the first thing I thought is that I'm not buying that large screen TV. Mm -hmm. Instead, I'm going to go get another job. Isn't that interesting? And it was that kind of statement that it was at the time of diagnosis. And families told me this time and time again. It was at the time of diagnosis that all of that started to shift for them. Mm -hmm. um, and example after example of that immediate, well, we, what are we doing with the finances? How, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do our current work life? You right. know, that, that kind of thing happened right at the time of diagnosis. And so... For the families with the prenatal, it actually gave them a little bit of time to plan. Prepare. For the families that had a, a diagnosis at birth, mm -hmm. you know, it was often that the baby was born, immediate need for some kind of intervention requiring hospitalization. Right. And so they're going through this, you know, celebration of the baby's born. Right. And now we're thinking, oh my goodness, how am I going to do my work? How am right. I going to, I only, you know, for the fathers, I only planned on being out of work for three days. Right. Now my baby needs surgery. What does this mean? And potentially out of state. Right, right. And, 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 that, and that was true that for many families that had a very complex type of uh, treatment required, there wasn't a hospital close by. Right. So that cost started right away mm -hmm. when they had to get in the car or right. get in the ambulance or get in the helicopter or however it was that they got here um, started to occur for them. And so that was another, I think, important for, thing for me to understand that it starts right away right at that time of diagnosis mm -hmm. or time of treatment. Um, and then it, it's a daily, it's a daily kind of experience. Um, one uh, mother shared with me that she said, well, you know when you go on vacation, she says, you know how many days you're going to be on vacation. And she says, and so you can plan for each day. Yeah. This is how much money I have. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to spend this amount, you know, every day. 
And she said, you know, you think about the food or the parking or, you know, all these other things, your lodging, right? She says, you have a baby with congenital heart disease. And she says, and you can't plan. You no. don't know how long you're going to be at the hospital. You don't know how long you're going to need money for a hotel or for the food. Or for, she said, you know, we're eating like potato chips right. some days. She says, because we don't know based on how much money and how long we're going to be here. You know, right. what, what do we eat? What do we do? You know, where do we sleep? Right. And so it was all of these things that I think for me, that uncertainty and at the time of diagnosis that spoke so clearly, this kind of, you know, how there were connections between that. Um, Did you find that, were there any results you found surprising that you weren't expecting? I think the biggest thing for me was to understand it from all the different ways they think about it. I think um, that, again, for me, I was very interested in, well, how much money did you spend per day? Right. You know, can you tell me that amount? Uh, or how much money did you spend with your, um, your uh, prescriptions, the co-pays, mm -hmm. you know? And what I found is that it's very hard to figure out that number. Mm -hmm. I think that the costs for them start right away. Right. And, and then they continue. Um, one of the important things that you do in qualitative study is something to help validate the way that you interpreted. So this diagram, this figure that I came up with, one of the most important things I did was something called member checking. Okay. And it helps to validate how you interpreted your, their, their story. And so I had as part of the study that I would randomly choose from the 20 families um, uh, to go back and contact them. Okay. about six to seven months after they participated in that first interview. And in, in that instance, that gave me further information that, yeah, we had the story right. Um, but what was also interesting is that that phenomenon continued. For families that didn't have any kind of real um, vacation or sick time mm -hmm. or time away from the office that was paid, Mm -hmm. um, many of those families lost their jobs. You know, it was, it was um, something that family said when the employer would find out, you know, there was this diagnosis, everybody rallied to the cause, mm -hmm. people tried to cover. But after a period of time, they're like, well, this is a chronic thing. This is not just, you know, three days or a week. Right. Um, and so families often lost jobs, lost businesses. Um, one family uh, lost a house. Um, families that it actually started out at a very high socioeconomic status. Um, she had a, a little boy born with hypoplastic left heart, very complex disease requiring multiple surgeries. At the first surgery, she said she was living, she says, I would call it a mansion. Mm -hmm. She says, and now I'm admitted here for the third surgery. She says, not only um, did I lose the mansion, she says, I've gone through a divorce. And she says, I'm worried about the heat, paying the heat bill um, be because, and I, I know I need to take him home mm -hmm. after the surge, you know, but it's winter and I have no money to pay for the heat. She was on welfare. Wow. So it was striking to me how the impact of this that nobody plans for no. with congenital heart disease, you know, there's, there's no true understanding of the etiology, right? So nobody plans to have, you know, this kind of experience. But the impact on how it took um, for many moms um, who uh, had uh, full-time work or even part-time work, 
it was striking to me how uh, they had difficulty in getting their child in a daycare kind of system. Right. The, the daycares often felt very nervous mm -hmm. about having a child with a heart, so they couldn't return to work. Or they had to depend on the extended family, something mm -hmm. they hadn't done before. Can grandma watch, you know, Johnny? You know, that kind of thing. And the mm -hmm. impact on that, that that never happened. Um, so it really was something that I felt affected all kinds of pieces of this overall life that the family had before and how they were living. When I spoke to families at this six to seven months after, they said, you know, things really haven't settled down yet. We're still very much feeling it. This is at a point also that they're starting to get bills um, from their hospital stay. Right. So this whole question of, well, how much is my insurance going to cover? How right. much am I going to be responsible for? In the moment, you're like, let's just take care of my baby. Right. Right. And we'll figure this out after. That six to seven month period is the after. It's the after. And so it was really important to hear from them this, you know, the bills keep coming. Like there's another bill from this person. There's another bill from this person. And then looking at it and often being struck um, with it was how, what was going to be paid for and what they were going to be responsible. Very difficult for them to understand. It was almost like it was no rhyme or reason to that. Right. But yet, you know, this was something that now was their responsibility. Um, so it was important to me to understand that it not only started right at the time, it's something that continues even when they're out of the hospital. Right. We, as healthcare workers, think, oh, things will settle down once they get home. Well, maybe the child's condition stabilizes that medical condition, right? right? Hopefully, and things are better. But this whole other story, it, it keeps, it, it continues. It, yeah, it goes on. We would like to ask our audience another question. Please remember to first state your city and country. Currently in your institution, are there policies in place for healthcare staff to talk to families about potential stressors due to continuation of medical costs following the hospitalization period? What did you see as the most meaningful finding? For us in the healthcare field, you know, how we support these families, mm -hmm. how we prepare these families. We are in a time of information, right, communication, we're stressing all these things, and I think that trying to prepare families as best possible for this whole economic burden or cost burden right. um, is important, and it's not just about the, the medical information. Right. It's how are you going to do your life? Right. You know, and how are you going to do your life on multiple fronts? And I think um, that that conversation has to start pretty early. Because honestly, families are thinking of it. When you have fathers telling you, right, as soon as they said, my child has a heart defect, right? I wasn't worried so much whether he was going to live or die. I was worried how I was going to pay for it. So they're thinking it right. and they're stressing it. So it's almost, I think, better for us to help start to talk about that stress and how are they going to manage that stress and, and come up with a plan that's just not while you're in the hospital. Right. It's how are you going to do this across your child's 
you know, their, their, you know, continuity of like their care, you know, how are we going to do that? Such an important message because I think, like you said, as healthcare professionals, we're used to preparing the families for discharge. It's one of the things mm -hmm. we teach all the new nurses mm -hmm. and the new fellows and physicians that come in mm -hmm. to prepare the families on admission mm -hmm. for when they go home. Mm -hmm. But then they go home. Mm -hmm. And I think we often, or for me, this is so enlightening because you forget that they may still have follow-up appointments mm -hmm. or they're still managing Mm -hmm. they, they transition to home, but they're still managing the care at home, and that right. certainly impacts daycares right. and work and right. taking time off. Yeah, yeah. Something they you never, don't think about. Yeah, they never really return to their previous life. Mm -hmm. I guess that was, you know, one of the things that you need to communicate, that although there still is an opportunity for an excellent quality of life, I think one of the success stories is that we have a story now for this particular disease that babies are living. Absolutely. And they're having um, a, a, a really important quality of life and they're going on and growing up and contributing to society. But all of this that happens alongside of it, I think is important for families to be able to cope Absolutely. with that. It's you know an important piece and more and more um, the burdens of you know the economy you know, play into this too. So for me, I think the most important thing was prepare families mm -hmm. as best possible, as early as possible, because it's something that they're thinking about. Just because they don't verbalize it, I think sometimes families, they felt uh, shy or nervous or that the healthcare team was going to judge them, that I'm not asking about my specific child's disease, I'm asking about how many days I need to be out of work. Right. You know. Um, and, and I think us addressing that proactively um, would probably be of some comfort. And would you consider that your next step or how you would move forward with this particular right, research? Right, right. So, you know, as a clinician, so once I finished the study, I was still practicing clinically and thought about that every time I spoke to a family, mm -hmm. um, whether they were at the point of getting ready for the surgery or getting ready to be discharged. I thought that, you know, going back to that, was something important for them to realize because when they are having the experience, yes. you know, what are the resources available to you to help get through that, to help mm -hmm. cope with that? Because it's not going to go away. It's now part of your life. Right. But how are you going to do that, you know, wh while taking care of your child? Um, and I think as far as next steps, you know, this whole idea of cost is still important to me from many different perspectives. And so looking at the role of cost around just the surgery itself right. and the healthcare team and how they contribute to cost and how we might be more efficient in the way we use our resources um, is part of this whole story for me and part of my research now. Um, I think that one of the things that was striking to me um, when I've presented this in national meetings, this work, is uh, people asking, well, is this similar to the other kinds of chronic illnesses that children now have today? And I didn't have an answer for that because I haven't studied that either. Mm -hmm. And so there are a group of collaborators uh, that would like that have uh, patient populations of different kinds of chronic illnesses and seeing if we could answer that question. So that's something else that is kind of moving forward and hopefully we'll idea. be able to you know, fill in that gap too about what we know about this. We would now like to ask our audience a final question based on what you heard today about medical costs and the burden on families. 
please remember to first state your city and country when you respond. If you do not have such policies currently in place in your institution, would you consider implementing policies to screen families for socioeconomic stressors? Alternatively, if you do have such policies, were there any components that were discussed today that are not included in your institution's policies that you find particularly important? Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. It, it was, was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.